This is another great book that I read a number of years ago. It's called Neurodiversity by Dr. Thomas Armstrong. Uh, he is a PhD in psychology and it's not working. Hello. There you go. Um, I really like this term. It's one of my favorite terms uh, uh, in recent history, neurodiversity. Um, and the reason I think this is so important is because people with autism don't want to be known as broken. Uh, they don't want to be known as disabled. They don't want to be known as handicapped. Uh, I have some patients uh, uh, who have uh, autism that are extremely brilliant and can type probably better prose than you can uh, and, uh, and are able to communicate in different ways. And here's what I want you to understand is that just because someone cannot speak your language does not mean that they can't speak. Um, so whereas a person like, like we are all in this room speaking English, but if we were in a room and I was speaking French and none of you know French, let's say as a possibility, you wouldn't say that something's wrong with me. You would just say, well, he's speaking a different language and I want to learn his language. I would have to learn how to speak French. Uh, and this is a giant issue in the, the autism community is that a lot of them are really tired of being called like nonverbal. Uh, and they prefer to be called minimally speaking. Uh, some of them will actually, uh, I've seen them type this out for me, say, uh, I can't control physically what comes out of my mouth. So to judge me about what comes out of my mouth is kind of rude. I would hope that you would judge me based upon who I am as a person and not because I sometimes can't make the same sounds you can out of your mouth. So I have a lot of uh, patients who come in, parents uh, with their kids on the spectrum uh, or kids who haven't been diagnosed yet. And they say to me, uh, my kid will not look you in the eye. My kid will not talk, my kid cannot communicate. Uh, you're gonna have a real hard time with that child. And I say, no, I, I never have a hard time with a child on the spectrum because I speak their language. I've learned to speak their language, right? They have a different language than we do. And it's not wrong and it's not bad, and we should stop judging it. And I have some uh, people on the spectrum who have written and said to me, I don't want to change. I don't want to change. I'm happy the way I am. And I think that's beautiful. And I think we need to understand it. And that's what we're talking about in neurodiversity, is that some people out there have different ways of thinking and expressing, and this, we should stop judging whether it's right or wrong, based upon our social standards, right? We have social standards, we look at each other's eyes. We have social standards, when I reach out my hand, you're gonna shake it. We have social standards, you know, you can sit in a classroom and for an hour and a half, oops, sorry, no, thank you. You can sit in the classroom for an hour and a half and have full attention on what I'm saying because I'm such a amazing speaker, right? But, but that's not the key thing, they can't do that. And if they can't do that, does that make them wrong? No, it just makes them, it just has a, they have a different way of thinking and looking and being, and we should stop our judgment for everybody. This is the whole diversity thing. We should just stop judgment completely. 
And that's what I think we need to understand. Because if you think about it, this is from Dr. This is, uh, Dr. Armstrong. Over the past 60 years, we witnessed phenomenal growth in the psychiatric illnesses. The DSM, remember my wife told you about the DSM? First started in 1952, it had 100 categories. But in 2000, it was 300. What's it now with the DSM-5? It's over 500 categories. Over 500 categories of mental illness. So what this, what that shows, if you do the research from the NIH, nearly every individual in the U.S. will have a psychiatric illness to one degree or another. If you just, if you just looked at every single person and what's going on with them, almost everybody in the country has some psychiatric illness, which is obviously not true. So it's, it's, this is another epidemic. You know, we're talking about epidemics now, um, but let's think about the, the true. There's, there's so many other epidemics that are going in the country, right? Like, uh, the, to me, one of the biggest epidemics is, is brain health. I, I have watched in the 32 years I've been in practice, I have watched brain health deteriorate dramatically, not just in kids, right? Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and all these other, you know, senile dementia kind of things. This is unbelievable amount of stuff. Concussions for people from all different ages, having all kinds of concussions with creating all kinds of brain health issues. Texting. You know, pe people who are doing this all the time, they're developing all these text neck forward and tantric postures, et cetera. Think about all this kind of stuff that's happening out there. You know, what we're seeing is an epidemic of brain health issues, whether it's autism or ADHD or learning disorders or sensory processing disorders or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or concussions or whatever else other, you know, or Lyme disease and pandas that I talk about in the advanced diagnosis class which is an autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder, right? You put all these things together, our brain health in the country, this country especially, but the world is just plummeting, plummeting. Um, even with COVID, you know, we have people who have, who have COVID, long COVID, who are getting mentally affected by this. There are people who've had COVID and they've recovered and they, but they still have brain fog, right? So, so this is a, this, this is a, a, a to me, is the, a bigger pandemic because that pandemic started before this pandemic, which is brain health. The so brain health has plummeted in the last bunch of years. But to me, the most important thing to think about is that we need to celebrate brain differences because everybody has their own special gift. Everybody has their own unique way of, of being the person that they are. And some people communicate in a different way than we do. And we have to honor and respect that. So here's just from Dr. Armstrong. It says, we don't pathologize the lily for not having petals. We don't say that the lily has petal deficit disorder, right? No, it's, it's got one big petal. Was a rose sitting next to it say, ha ha, I have petals, you don't, ha ha, right? But that's what so many people do, right? And, and it's just like this whole thing with bullying that I keep on seeing and, and I heard about there was a, a child in, in a, a, a out west who was, was bullied and committed suicide at 10 years old because she was bullied and uh, on Facebook. And it, why is a kid, a 10 year old on Facebook? But to, to, to be bullied on Facebook and then bullied in school because of this kind of stuff and they commit suicide, we, we just, can we just accept people? Is it just that hard for us to accept that everybody's different and that's okay? Why is this so hard? I really cannot figure this out, right? Because you don't see trees and flowers and some of that fighting against each other. They all accept each other. Like there's a, a great Indian proverb, uh, or I should say Native American proverb, that says, no tree is so foolish as to fight amongst itself. 
What do trees do in the wind, right? They go like this, they hold hands as they're, as they're blowing in the wind like this. They're holding hands, being together. They're not, not, you don't see one tree going, get out of my way. I want to survive. You can fall down. I'm not going to. They just do it together, right? To me, that is what it's all about. This is why I do what I do, because I want to take care of these kids and tell them and have them understand that I get their language. I get what they're going through. <clears throat> I can feel what they're feeling. Um, and I'm right there with them. And when you, when you look at these people, I want you to start looking at people, whatever disabled, dis, you know, disability is going on with them, and think they are differently able. They're not disabled. They have different abilities, different thoughts, different ways of doing things. Right. It's not all the same. Right? Everything is, has to be the way we do it. <clears throat> so people on the spectrum if you're from this country, you can probably finish these sentences. If you're not from this country, you may not be able to. But if you're from this in this country, and if I say, oh, say, can you, what's the next word? Oh, say, can you see? We all know that if you're from this country, you know the Star Spangled Banner. If I say, I pledge of, what's the next word? Allegiance, right? We all know that. But people on the spectrum, whether they're high function, low function, some of them do not know how to finish these sentences. And that's called mind blindness. It's called mind blindness. So a person who is mind blind is unable to finish sentences. They're unable to, to take on, to understand cues. Like there's a cue, like if you, if I was walking up to Latoya and I started going like this, she would hold out her hand and probably smile, right? Because that's a, that's a social cue. But what happens if you didn't know what that meant? And you saw someone going like this and you looked at it and just could not interpret it. There's no, there's no place for interpretation for that particular thing. That's called mind blindness. It's a very common thing you'll see with that. So you can't expect them to understand instructions the way you think that they'd understand. You know, you think that every time a child comes in on the spectrum, you think that they get, you're going to come here, you're going to sit down on the bench, you're going to lie down on the bench, but that's not necessarily true. Just because you think that, and a neurotypical person might think that, that's not what's really going to happen. So I've seen kids sometimes hundreds of times, and they come in and they still don't know exactly what to do. I said, come on, let's come over here. Let's come over here. Let's go on the bench. Let's sit right here. <clears throat> you have to tell them what to do each time. And that's okay. And there's no reason to get frustrated about this or upset about this. It's just they don't get the social cues of just because I'm in a chiropractic office, I do this. Right? That's not how their brains think. However, the good thing about that is, is like the internet, um, you don't need that kind of skill. Right? You don't have to have the, like when you're talking with text or Facebook, et cetera, in a friendly manner, not a bullying manner, but in a friendly manner, when you talk in that kind of manner, you're able to communicate back and forth with that person, but the person doesn't need to express emotion, right? So that, so you kind of, uh, so by, by the, the good thing about the internet is that a lot of people who are on the spectrum, like this Amanda uh, Boggs, who just, I just showed you, is able to express themselves and they don't have to worry about having to do this in front of other people, right? So they, they can use their skills. Obviously she's got amazing skills, 
Um, and what's really neat is, I don't know if you saw it during one of those, uh, one of those pictures, she actually had a, a, a letter board in front of her. And that's how a lot of people on the spectrum are learning how to communicate is they, they're, they're, it's called letter boarding or spelling to communicate. And they're learning how to, to communicate letter, one letter at a time. And they start like that at a younger age. And then they, as they get older, they can start to communicate better. And then they can start actually using a keyboard. Um, so we've been using that uh, in, in our office to try to help kids get you know, ready for this kind of stuff. And as, even though I'm not a great, the greatest fan of phone and iPads, whatever, but you can use iPads and phones to great advantage for, uh, to teach things like this for these kids. <clears throat> One of the big things that they talk about in uh, autism is something uh, that there's a problem with, these, uh, with people on the spectrum with mirror neurons. And mirror neurons, um, there's, there's no mirror neuron. Like you can't look at, in the brain and find a mirror neuron. But almost every single neuron that we have, it has to do with some sort of social gesturing, has a mirror property to it. And what that means is, just like I did before with Latoya, if I walk up to Latoya and I wave at Latoya, she waves at me, she smiles, right? This is, this is a mirror neuron. She didn't learn. She, that wasn't built in. That was learned. She had to learn that. When she was young, she figured that out. Some mommy and daddy were looking at her and doing this, and she, with the mirror neuron, said, I'm going to do what mommy and daddy does. But what happens if your mirror neurons aren't working? And you smile at a kid, and you wave at a kid, and they, they don't have mirror neurons, so they don't copy. Right? That is what happens with, with some kids on the spectrum, is they do not copy what a, tip, a neurotypical child would copy. And that's why a lot of these kids not only did they have issues in, in verbal communication, they also have issues in nonverbal communication, or not understanding the nonverbal cues. And they have issues, a lot of them have issues even in just doing simple things like, like coloring. Like you and I think that every kid's going to start doing this. Well, no, not every kid does that. So if you don't figure out how to hold a pen or a pencil with a pencil grasp, you're just going to hold it like, like this with a monkey kind of grasp. So these are important things that happen with mirror neurons that if you don't, if, you're, if your brain is not looking at the environment and saying, I want to copy what that other person, that mom, my mom and dad or brother or sister or aunt or uncle or grandma or grandpa are doing, then you, you're, you're missing out on part of the learning that's supposed to be happening with this kid. <clears throat> now, it's amazing. This is a very interesting thing that I learned from Dr. Armstrong because I never thought about this before. When... How long has autism been around? A long time. A long time. Like, like how long is a long time? How about for millennia? Now, when was autism named? In the 1950s with Leo Kanner. Right? Leo Kanner was the, the first uh, psychologist to actually name or come up with the word autism. But that doesn't mean that that's when it started. It actually started a bazillion years ago in, in, reg, in tribal communities. So every tribal community back way back when had somebody on the spectrum. And what was their function? They all had special functions. The people who had autism way back like a thousand years ago, what was their function? What did they do? I'm guessing assist at that point. They might assist, but they actually had even higher function. 
There's a very special, because some people on the spectrum have unbelievable uh, intelligence in terms of being able to remember things. So if you are in a tribal community, Storytellers? yeah, the storytellers, but they're, they're going to be the shamans. They're going to be the, the shamans as they call the medicine people, you know, kind of thing where they're going to be like, you know, the, the ones who, who have, the, they're like the repositories of all the information about the tribe. Um, so that's what uh, we see with like, and they've, they've actually done research in almost every larger tribal community way back millennia um, had people who were like this, right? The difference between now and millennia is for millennia, the amount that, that the, uh, the prevalence of autism was one in 10,000 or less. What's the prevalence of autism now? One in 50, right? So the, 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 the fact of the matter is, it's not that autism is something that has never been around before and suddenly is here. The fact is that autism has been around for millennia. There's just more of it because of so many of the factors that you can imagine with all the environmental you know, issues and, and uh, social issues and stress-related issues, et cetera, et cetera, that are causes, which I talk a lot more about in the advanced diagnosis class. But so autism has been around. There's a lot of people think that autism is this new thing that nobody's ever heard of before and just started in the last century. No, it's been around forever. It's just the amount of autism is what is so huge in comparison. Now, people on the spectrum are not very good empathizers, right? If you don't get body language, if you don't read cues of when someone's looking in your eyes and stuff, you can't empathize very well. But they potentially could be very good systematizers. They're very good systematizers. So a lot of people on the on the spectrum, if they're able to uh, to to work on a computer, a lot of people on the spectrum can be amazing computer engineers, um, <clears throat> can work in mathematics, etc. Because this is it, it, it's very easy for them to think, you know, of this. Like um, uh, we that we had a uh, a patient uh, a couple of years ago who was a calendar counter. Uh, which was, it's not really a handy thing, but he's absolutely brilliant. And he was able, to, you could say like, um, my birthday, November 23rd, 1963, he'd say Thursday. I, how'd you know that? I just know it. And he's able to go backwards in his brain or forwards and know what the day is of any day you say, even if you say like year one, whatever, he, he can go backwards and forwards in his brain and figure this out. Um, so some people have this amazing ability to be very in very specific areas. But the key thing that you have to understand is that this is for all of us. All of us have like really unique, unique abilities that we need to find. And when we find it, then that ability is our is our special gift. And everybody has a special gift ability. We just have to find it, right? And but a lot of people on the spectrum, a lot of their special gift abilities happens to be in like more computational, mathematical, analytical, systematization sort of things. <clears throat> but I think this is important, you know, people labeled autistic violate a key value in our culture by not being sufficiently social. Why shouldn't a deep immersion in non human system represent a good life as well? Who are we to judge? Says Dr. Armstrong. Who are we to judge? Right? If someone if someone is living a life in whatever way they're living, if they're happy, who are we to judge that whether it's right or wrong just because they're not as social as we are? <clears throat> I'm a very social person. It's just my personality. But that doesn't mean that someone who isn't social 
is not right. That's wrong, right? And like, so that's why I love this whole concept of neurodiversity that Dr. Armstrong came up with. Who are we to judge? What's right or wrong if we're not sufficiently social? <coughs> I'm skipping steps just like we did to the rest of this stuff. Um, I like this, this thought is making shift in terminology is not just an academic exercise. It's not just talking about um, we, we should do this just, just for semantics. We should, we should embrace neurodiversity because our, our whole country and society needs us to embrace all sorts of diversity. <clears throat> a lot of these kids will have, uh, anecdotes will have exceptional visual spatial skills. Uh, one of the most famous people on the spectrum, uh, her name is Temple Grandin. And if you ever heard of her, uh, she has an amazing movie. It's, uh, it was on Netflix. It's not anymore, I don't think. Uh, it's called Temple Grandin. And it's on, uh, it, it, you can rent it on Amazon. It's worth it if you're, if you're interested in learning more about the spectrum. When she was younger, <clears throat> she was, the only thing that calmed her down was two things. Either she, she loved getting like squeezed, like really tightly squeezed. That would calm her down. And she also had this affinity towards cattle. She loved cows for whatever reason. She absolutely loved cows. And she would study cows. And she would she lived near a farm and she would just watch cows. And she what and apparently she was able to, to go to slaughterhouses, which I guess are in the West somewhere. I have never seen one. But I'm <laughs> from New York, what can I say? So um, and she she watched in slaughterhouses how the cows were unable to navigate these slaughterhouses correctly because they were very angular. Like they'd make a cow go this way and then turn a corner, go this way and turn a corner, go this way. And what would happen is a lot of cows would actually be crushed during this you know, end process. And, uh, and she looked at this and she said, the reason that they're having a problem with this is because they don't understand corners very well. They don't see corners very well. So she came up with a new uh, way to, to create a slaughterhouse entry system because there's obviously you have to clean them and do stuff before they go into the slaughterhouse. So she made this without taking engineering courses, without taking drafting courses, like an architect or whatever, she made this freehand, this drawing. And this is what has made her one of the most wealthy people on the spectrum in the world, because now almost every slaughterhouse in the country has this setup. And what happens is now that the, the cattle are able to go into this sort of circle like this, and they're able to easily go in and and they lose a lot less cattle that way. Because before, cattle were always being crushed, always losing a whole bunch of cattle every time they sent a, another, you know, bunch of them to, you know, to slaughter. So this was a giant uh, thing that she revolutionized the cattle slaughtering industry, uh, of all things. Um, but this is the, this is the brilliance that is in uh, people on the spectrum is they have very, very, very specific brilliance like in a very small area where they, they can truly excel. And this is how she's excelled. And now she's written books and she does talks and stuff. It's absolutely amazing watching uh, what uh, she's been able to accomplish. <clears throat>